Yeah, and that just feels better. It feels happier in here. I think it's just new season. Yay! Uh, also, before we begin this morning's message, I want to just emphasize one announcement that we had this morning on the video. By the way, isn't Singrid good? I should I should put her on the payroll somehow. I, she's so good. Um, what am I trying to say? Spiritual direction, yes. That spiritual direction Saturday here at the Vineyard is sort of a mini conference. Um, that is going to be worth your money. You will want to be here. You might be thinking, what is spiritual direction? Spiritual direction is sort of a uh, one of the ancient slash traditional practices of the church for your soul care. This is this is how the saints for not just hundreds of years but thousands of years have progressed as disciples and cared for their souls. It's basically saying with someone, sitting with someone and becoming aware of where God is and how he is moving in your life without that someone telling you what to do or where to look, if that makes sense. How many of you would like to have a friend who could help you see what God is doing in your life? You want to come, and I will tell you, uh, Dave Nixon, uh, Ray Hollenbach, Candy, am I right here? Dave Nixon is like a legend in the vineyard. Like, it's awesome that he's coming. So you should set that out of your calendar, grab your $25. You need to be here. I already know there are several other people from other vineyards around who will be here. Um, So this is a really big deal, and I'm glad it's going to be here. Awesome. That is my mini commercial. Hmm. Hey, this is the last message in our friendship series. Oh, man, unprompted. That's good. Um, Hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed being able to share on this stuff. And uh, I think God has something even for us again today. There's just nothing like having friends, right? It's one of the things that we keep saying for the last few weeks. There's just nothing like having friends, and there's nothing like having having some best friends. Last week we talked about some best friends, Jonathan and David. This is the disciples, but Jonathan and David. Isn't that a cool picture? Jonathan older. This is when Jonathan is giving David all of his stuff. These guys are best friends, but these are not the only best friends in the world. For instance, we have Bert and Ernie. These, these guys are best friends. But there's other best friends. What about Oprah and Gail? Woohoo! Man, Oprah looks good there. These are. My... You can't talk about friendship without mentioning Harry and Lloyd, right? I can't even look at this picture without loving it. You know. I wish I had a friend good enough to wear a suit like that with them, you know? (laughs) But having friends, having friends is essential. And I hope that's one of the things that we're realizing. Uh, It's actually not optional. Having friends and having best friends is essential. Friendship is just as essential as food and water. Lack of friendship leads to a malnourished soul. Lack of companionship leads to a dried up spirit. You just, you have to have friends. You have to. Because without them, on the inside, you waste away. You become spiritually and you become emotionally emaciated. Like somebody who's fighting for survival in the middle of a famine. Friendship is bread and wine. Friendship is communion. I think that's one of the things we're going to see even today. little story about my own life here. Um, I have... Lots of friends. It's one of the ways that I've been richly blessed. I have a lot of friends. And I have friends that I like to play music with. And some of the friends that I like to play music with are some of my very best friends. Um, And some of the best moments in my life have been the times when we were working on some creative endeavor together. Some of those moments where we were making music, where we were writing music, where we were recording. Some of those moments have been some of the most magical things that have happened and have just been some of the best things ever. There's nothing quite like making music with your very best friends. There's nothing like searching for something creatively with someone else. Like you don't even know what you're looking for. 
but you're looking for it and you have somebody else who's looking for this mysterious something with you. And when you're doing music, you're always looking for something that you don't know exactly what it is. You know in the most general sense, but you don't know in the specific sense. You're looking for a melody, you're looking for a lyric, you're looking for a groove, but you don't know which one it is. And until you find it together, it's a complete mystery. You're looking for something that moves everybody's heart at an emotional level. And sometimes that search is so dark and frustrating that you're tempted to give up. But then one of your best friends stumbles onto something and then everything changes. Creational moments, especially creational moments with friends, they are as much about the people that you work with as it is the work that you're doing. If I can put it in that sort of terms. In fact, oftentimes the two are impossible to separate. I still remember, for instance, recording uh, High King of Heaven off of the last record that we did here at the Vineyard. Hannah and I rewrote this song called High King of Heaven. We, we sang it a bunch here. Um, and I remember how we wrote that. Hannah had this some fragments of a song. I, rem- I remember the day she brought them into my office and said, what do you think of this? And I'm like, I don't know. Leave the lyrics on my desk. And I played around with it and hacked it to bits, and I took it back to her office. I said, what do you think about this? And we sang some stuff, and it kept getting better, and we kept doing this. It was really fun. But the most fun moment in that whole song was after we had tracked it here, and we were back in the studio fixing a few things, and it just felt like something was missing. I, it's hard to say why, but it just felt like something was missing, even though the song was together and beautiful. And while we're back in the studio, while we're back in the studio, uh, it's me, and it's Bobby, and Josh. I, Glenn might have been there. I can't remember. And Josh is playing something. Josh is playing something, just kind of, He's not even paying attention to what Bobby and I are talking about. Josh is just playing something. But there's this thing that's so beautiful coming out of Josh's guitar suddenly. And I realized I had this idea. We could just move this over and we could make it the intro. And we did some stuff. Bobby did Pro Tools Magic. It's, it's basically Harry Potter voodoo in a computer. Bobby did Harry Potter voodoo in a computer. And Josh was playing something. And somehow it all coalesced into this moment. And this extreme amount of beauty was coming out of the monitors. You guys know the intro on High King of Heaven, that weird like, and then all of a sudden the drums come in and you just, it, ah, you should have been back here when we did that. It was a total accident. Am I right? We didn't, it was an accident, but it was an accident that happened in the concept, in the, in the, in the context of making music, but not just making music. It wasn't just making music. It was a friendship moment and it was awesome. It was awesome because Two people who didn't know what they were looking for found what they were looking for. And then it's touched a lot of people everywhere, like at an emotional level. That's fun. I like doing that. I'll also never never forget the time. This is also funny. I'm going to tell you a couple more stories about making music with friends. I'll also never forget the time that we were on tour and we were down in Florida. We left here. And how many of you understand it's a long way from here to Florida? And Matt and all had on some dock shoes. You know those like boat slider shoes? But he didn't have any socks on. And for... <laughs> you know where this is going. We drove from here to Atlanta and we played and we stayed the night and Matt wore those shoes. And, and you get... It gets like when you're unloading and you play and then you load back up and you're in a van and it's everybody together... Then you stay the night in Atlanta, and then you get up, and you drive on, and we were down. I don't even know where. We were in Florida somewhere, which is further than Atlanta, and Florida's hot and humid, and Matt's been wearing these shoes with no socks, and then that night, we're setting up. We unload into this place in Florida, and we set up, and Matt's sitting behind his drum kit, and he's sort of like tuning stuff or whatever, and he kicks his shoes off. And Matt doesn't know I'm telling this story. I just realized that. I forgot to clear, clear this with him. But this ungodly thing hit the stage. The intercessors started rebuking it. They came out. We lost it. And this is a story that's still, like, we tell this story every time we go out. Remember the time that Matt forgot to wear socks and nearly killed us. I remember another time. I remember another time. Sam, where's Sam? Sam, you here, bro? He's not here. He'll be back next service. This is Sam. I've got a story about you. I remember one time when Sam put on a pair of women's gaucho pants. Should have stayed in. Sam, would you like to demonstrate? Oh, 
I remember the time that Sam put on a pair of women's gaucho pants, took his shirt off, took the drawstrings and tied them around his neck, and danced an Irish jig on the balcony, on a balcony in a hostel in the middle of Peru, overlooking a courtyard at 3 a.m. And I don't think any of us have ever laughed that hard in our lives. Now, the question that you should be asking me, even this moment, is where did Sam get the gaucho pants? The answer, from Labriska. The other question you should ask me is, did Labriska know that he stole the pants? The answer is no. <laughs> you just, there's some things you don't get over. And this is why, this is why friendship is so important. But... You need, you need to laugh that hard. Have you guys ever like spent time with your friends and the next morning you get up and you feel like you've done ab ripper? You guys remember, you know, P90X for ab ripper? You know, the, you know, you know, the African-American dude on that video and his abs are just shredded. That guy has good friends. You don't get friends like that by doing ab ripper. You get friends like that by watching Sam dance in women's gaucho pants that he had stolen, unbeknownst to the woman who owned them, with his shirt off at 3 a.m. That's how you get abs like that. You need to laugh like that. But somehow it's more than just laughter. It's more than someone doing something really smart or really dumb to the enjoyment of everyone else. It's more than the buzz that comes from making cool things together. It's this really quiet reality that settles on, in, and behind moments like these, even the silly ones. And it's the reality, it's the waking up to the awareness that we were actually made for that. You were made to laugh with friends like that. You, you were made for moments like that. Sharing moments like that can happen in the blink of an eye. But they can't be manufactured. Have you ever noticed that you can't manufacture that stuff? And when you do, it's, it's awkward. But not like, not like Michael Scott funny awkward. Just like pitiful. Yeah, you need friends. You need friends. But that's not all you need. Friendship is not all you need. In addition to your friends... You and I need God. You, you, you got to have friends, but you got to have more than just friends. You and I need God. And the thing that you and I need when it comes to God is, you and I need more than just an intellectual concept of God. You and I actually need to be friends with God. Like, like you need a relationship with Jesus that is at times a little bit like that picture. I don't know if you're aware of this, but sometimes Jesus is willing to put on the orange suit. That's very offensive for some people. If you've never been in the room when Jesus put on the orange suit and laid out the blue suit for you, you, <laughs> you have not been to church. You need more than an intellectual concept of God. You need a friendship with God. And we're going to look at a scripture this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. And this is on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus says some stunning things on the night that he was betrayed. And by the way, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was in the room with his very best friends. He didn't have on the orange suit. But he was with his best friends. Just hours before his arrest and his crucifixion, Jesus gets serious, which is typically what people do right before they die. They get serious and they begin to tell you all the stuff that's really important. There's a weight that we apply to people's last words. And you kind of have to hear Jesus' words this morning with the same sort of weight. On the night right before Jesus gets murdered, he talks about several things, but one of the things he talks about is friendship. We'll read this. Jesus, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. That's sort of stunning. The very same way the Father feels about Jesus is how Jesus feels about you. If you'll follow him. And when you obey my commandments, 
you remain in my love. He says, remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. How many of you, how many of you would like to have Jesus' joy? It's possible. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. You should underline that in your Bible. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Sort of a famous piece of scripture. Jesus and his friends on the night before he was murdered, talking about friendship. And because it's sort of a famous piece of scripture, we can be familiar with it. And sometimes the familiarity just robs us of the insight. It robs us of the emotional impact. Sometimes you can become so knowledgeable about something that you actually don't know it anymore. I think this is one of those places. When Jesus says to his disciples, I've loved you like the Father loves me, the air came out of the room. And when Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends, no one was breathing. And the reason that no one was breathing is because everybody in that room knew who, the, knew who Jesus was. More than anyone else alive in the world, they knew who Jesus was. At that point, everybody in the room knew that somehow Jesus was God. They'd seen him do the miracles. They'd seen him teach things that no one had taught. They knew that he wasn't just some carpenter from Nazareth. They knew that he was God. That's what he said, and they had seen it firsthand, and they could attest to it as being True, when Jesus says, I don't call you slaves anymore, I call you friends, no one was breathing. And after his death and resurrection, they would know this reality in high definition. Jesus is God, and we are God's friends. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. It's stunning because this has never been the idea that human beings have associated with their gods. Ever. In fact, one has to think about it even this morning for a moment. You have to ask yourself the question, what kind of self-respecting God has friends? I mean, right? What kind of, what kind of self-respecting God has friends? These are not the ideas that we associate with God. Not even us here in the South. And historically and worldwide, these are never the ideas that have been associated with God. Gods don't have friends. Gods don't have friends. Gods are supposed to have servants. Gods tell people what to do. Gods are supposed to be feared. Gods make you nervous. Gods are aloof and detached. Gods are supposed to be about higher things, things that you wouldn't understand. And gods are supposed to be catered to. And here Jesus says, I don't call you slaves. I don't call you, I don't call you disconnected servants. I'm not aloof. I am not away from you. I am present with you. And I don't call you those things anymore. I say, we're friends. This is never the idea. Jesus is in one moment at one dinner table on the night before he's murdered, obliterating thousands of years of human history when it comes to the concepts that are attached to who God is. No, don't get me wrong. People want to be associated with the powerful. You know why people want to be associated with the powerful? They want power and position. And people want to be in the inner circle with the rich and famous because they want riches and fame. But there's something else going on here. And we see that Jesus is just obliterating thousands of years of human ideas about what God is like. The question, I've said this before, but I just keep coming back to it. The question is not so much, is there a God? The question is more importantly, what is he like? I think this is the main reason 
that atheists are atheists even today. Most atheists, if we were to peg them down, and you can't, because no, you can't. Well, because you can't control people, you know. But if we were to give everybody truth serum, most people, even people who say they don't believe in God, I actually don't believe that. I think what they don't believe in is the crazy God concept that's existed for several thousand years, and they've rejected that. And they're because they haven't seen a viable alternative, they assume there's nothing, and they move on. The question isn't so much does God exist. The real question is what is He like. God is not aloof. God is not disconnected. God is not a million miles away. God is not so smart that he is unknowable or unlovable or ungatherable or... Do you feel what I'm saying? And Jesus is just obliterating that stuff. So here we have Jesus. Not aloof, but present. Close. And at this meal, he's actually serving. God is the one who gets half naked and on his hands and knees. We don't often think about that, do we? Like, can you imagine if over the course of three years that a guy you thought was a carpenter in Nazareth, you realized this guy is not just a carpenter from Nazareth, but this guy is the high king of heaven? And then, after you realize that he's the high king of heaven, can you imagine that if on one night the high king of heaven gets down on his hands and knees and takes off his shirt and grabs your dirty feet and puts them in his own hands? No one would have been breathing. No one would have been breathing. Jesus is throwing a monkey wrench into the machinery of what we think about gods and what they want. Jesus wants friends. And friendship is about laughter and conversation and shared moments. Jesus wants laughter and conversation and shared moments. Why? Because that's what friendship is about. What sort of God is into that? What sort of God who's really a God would be interested in laughter and conversation and shared moments with Andrew Simmons? Somehow, you're absolutely right. It's amazing. It's a stunning it's a stunning thing. How is it that God could be interested in laughter, conversation and shared moments with me and not get bored? Like if he's really God, right? Why? Because God is supposedly the person who knows everything all the time. If you know everything all the time, how can you enjoy someone? The fact that God does not get bored with people even though he has omnipotent power, even though he is omniscient, the fact that God does not get bored with people says something profound about him. God is not bored by humanity. We were made to be fascinated by him, and somehow he has crafted us in a manner that is fascinating to him. See, here's the deal. You were made to be fascinated by God. You were made to be friends with God. Uh, If you don't find your fascination in your friendship with God, you will undoubtedly find it in a lesser light. And when you place your fascination and that part of your heart and your soul that was made for friendship into one of the lesser lights, you will become possessed. I mean, it's, it's, it's why people, it's why, it's ultimately why people get addicted to drugs and every other thing. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, I don't mean to boil it down too simply, but we'll just put it like this. I mean, why would, why would someone literally ruin their life snorting or shooting some unknown substance into their body? Well, it's actually really simple. They're looking for transcendence. You were made, you want to have transcendent ecstatic moments. You were made, you were made to know something that is ultimately exhilarating, like, like, all the way through your body, every single cell of your body alive. And you know what? If you don't find it in God, you might find it in cocaine for a little while. And then it'll kill you. God is the one thing you can become fascinated, addicted to, that will not kill you. He will give you life. It's, fun. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. God is not bored by people. He's not bored. You were made to be fascinated by him and somehow he's crafted you in a manner that's fascinating to him. 
He wants to share life with you. Jesus says right before this passage, same passage, same night, same speech. Jesus says that he's the vine and we are the branches. It's a picture of connection. Uh, It's actually a picture that you and I need to meditate on a little bit because it fully, fully explains and encapsulates this idea of friendship with God. Jesus says that he is the vine and that we are the branches. Uh, Our connection with God is not like a puzzle that you could pop in and pop out and even when it's in, there's a space between. You guys put puzzles together? Right, there's little spaces, right? You, You go, well, this one goes over here. And even when you put the pieces together, how many of you understand that there's little tiny spaces between those pieces and that you could pop them out? Now, it's not like that with God. I want you to think about vines and branches. Have you ever seen a grapevine? You ever been to a vineyard? You ever been to my house? You ever walked around in our fields? You ever gotten close? There's this vine that comes out and then the branches comes off of that vine. And the question you have to ask yourself is, where does the vine stop and the branch begin? Tell me definitively. I went out and looked yesterday. Definitive, definitively, where does the branch begin and the vine end? And definitively, the answer is no one knows. Why? Because they're inseparably connected. Life in God and friendship with God is not like puzzle pieces that fit together. It's seamlessly united. Seamlessly Perfectly united. Sharing the same DNA. The branch shares the same DNA that the vine has. It shares the same sap. We might call it union with Him. When you become friends with God, you are not separated at all. Ever. Even when you feel separated. In fact, I've come to believe that separation with God is a false reality. I've come to believe that conversion is waking up to the reality that you have never been separated from God, even for a moment. That is the saved life. David says in Psalm 139, Where could I go to escape your presence? (laughs) <laughs> and by the way, this is, this is before Jesus shows up on the planet stuff, okay? David gets a picture of this way before Jesus shows up, way before disciples, way before cross, way before resurrection, way before Holy Spirit's on everybody's life. David says, where could I go to escape your presence? Couldn't go anywhere. Even if I went to the depths of Sheol, sort of like Old Testament hell, even if I went to Old Testament hell, you would be there with me. Vine and branches. Branches. Same sap, same human, same DNA. See, this is a picture that deserves serious meditation. Friendship with God begins by becoming aware, firstly, that you and I are deeply loved. That's what he says in verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. The very same love that the Father has put upon Jesus, he has put upon the whole world. He has put upon the whole world. Until you become aware of the fact that you are deeply loved, you will never, ever be able to love anyone else or God, not even 1%. But because you are loved and because you are a branch in His vine, because you are connected, because you share His sap, because you share His DNA, because His life, His very life, drawn from the ground. Look at the picture that Jesus is painting here. Drawn from the ground. He is the vine with roots into the ground. Right into the dirt, He is absorbing nutrients, water, and life, and He is pulling that up out of the ground it's actually a picture of resurrection up out of the ground up into that trunk and into those branches because you share his life love is always a possibility love didn't start with you it was placed upon you you can be friends with god because he has first befriended you it's stunning god's love has been set upon me Jesus set his love upon you. And everything that is not love, and everything that is not a friend to Jesus, everything that is unconcerned with God, and everything that is unconcerned with neighbor and community, is ultimately an expression of your false self. Because your true self is connected into the vine. 
And if you go on, if you go on, if you insist on, if you insist on living out of a false self, eventually you'll just get pruned off and thrown into the fire. Now, if you insist on expressing your true self, you will also get pruned. <laughs> That's what Jesus says. Everybody gets pruned. Everybody's going to get cut. But not everybody has to get thrown away into the fire. See, friendship is not voyeuristic. This is important when we consider friendship with God. Friendship is not voyeuristic. God is not friends with us in the sense that He knows everything about us. He's not, he's not friends with us in the sense that He sits in heaven and He looks out some celestial window, the window of uh, all knowledge and all understanding, and He sees everything about Austin's life, and He, know, he, just, you know, he, just, he knows that... Chris is your brother and you grew up together and you lived in Greene County. And, it's not, he, he, and he, doesn't, he doesn't look at the Holy Spirit and go, you know, I'm friends with those boys. I know everything about them. Friendship is not voyeuristic. Friendship is connection. And so just because God knows something about you doesn't mean that you're friends with Him. Friendship is sharing, just like vines to branches. Jesus says, masters, don't confide. But here is Jesus with His very best friends confiding. Jesus is sharing with his friends. And the question is this, are we sharing with Jesus? If Jesus is sharing with us, the question now becomes, are we sharing with him? Sometimes we don't share. In fact, the spiritual life in some ways could be described as going from not sharing to sharing. What is the life of a disciple? The life of a disciple is breathing, Living your life, doing your thing, going to work, sleeping, eating, getting married, whatever, going to school, not sharing with God, slowly waking up bit by bit, bit by bit, cell by cell, heart by heart, to sharing with God. What are mature people in God? Mature people in God are people who share with God. Immature people are not sharers. He is sharing with us, and so the question becomes, are we sharing with Him? And sometimes we don't share. And one of the reasons we don't share is because we think He's uninterested. No, He's just uninterested. I mean, He's God. He already knows this stuff. Why would I talk to Him? This is one of the huge impediments to prayer. Whether we articulate it that way or not, this is one of the huge impediments to sharing life with God. It's this thought, He already knows it. Why share it? I have a question, though. What if, he, what if he can't share in the way that he would like to share until we tell him things that we think he already knows? What if we have to give him access? Intimate knowledge. See, sharing is foundational to friendship. See, what if prayer were not a formality? What if you didn't have to get on your knees and hold your hands like this? But what if it was just two people having a chat? Like... I mean, like, just two people having a chat. What if you just started talking to Jesus and about Jesus and with Jesus just the way you do your best friend? Hey, Jesus, what's going on? You ever done that? Hey, Jesus, what's going on? Uh, okay, number one, um, why are you not around very much? Have you ever told Jesus, like, what you really think about life and how it's going? Like, forget all the theology you know. Throw it out the window. Sometimes you have to throw every theological thing you know out the window in order to start relating to God in a way that's real and true. And so, uh, you know, I, Jesus, why aren't you around? I mean, I'm a Christian. I know the theological answer is that he's always around. But sometimes we have to start over here. Sometimes this, which is not true, is actually more true than the truth that we know over here. So let's just scramble those eggs. Let's just start with some untruth that's more true than the truth. Jesus, why aren't you around? I, this has happened less than uh, six months ago. I'm in my car and I yell at Jesus as loud as I can. In anger. Come through a stretch of pastoring some people that wasn't too much fun. It's a bit of a challenge. And I yell at Jesus. This is unfair. You only had to live with these guys for three years. And I'm going to have to pass through these same people in this same town until I die. 
What, you don't yell at your friends occasionally? <laughs> Two weeks, well, less than a week ago, I jumped on the stage and I yelled at Glenn. <laughs> Forgot to apologize. I'm sorry, Glenn. <laughs> But sometimes that's where you have to start. I'm yelling at Jesus. This is unfair. You only lived with these guys for three years and there's a particular kind. How many of you understand there's a particular kind of touch if you're pastoring and leading people for three years? And it's totally different if it's going to be a whole lifetime for both of you. Like, Like even the way you frame and say things, it's totally, totally different. Why? Because I'm going to live with you people for... And I would like to enjoy this. And I want you to enjoy this. And by the way, there's nothing in the Bible about what, I would, what I'm talking about here. I've read it. I've read it. There is nothing about how to get along with people for a lifetime in God. Specifically. <laughs> there is not... There is, Paul never wrote a letter called How to Get Along with People in God Until Everybody Dies and Gets Resurrected. It's ultimately frustrating so what if prayer what if prayer what if what if real prayer what if real friendship with jesus started as mostly screaming everything that you're frustrated about at him rather than getting on your knees and doing this Uh, here's the truth some of y'all would be instantly more spiritually emotionally and physically healthy if you would just tell god what the heck you think you know why because the only place that he can deal with is reality That's why. Jesus said, I came for the sick. If you don't think you're sick, he's got nothing to offer you. Bummer. (laughs) Bummer. This is what friendship is like. It's exchange. It's exchange. This is what's crazy. In Matthew chapter 7, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells this, it's just a handful of verses, about four and a half verses, and it's chilling. I, I only recommend you read it once every four years. Because it's just too scary. Jesus says that in that day, they'll come to me. People who have prophesied in my name. People who have done all the stuff. People who have cast out devils in my name. They will come to me and I will say to them, get away from me, I never knew you. I have. How is it that the God who knows everything about everyone could look at someone and say, get away from me, I never knew you. They didn't share anything. They didn't become friends. They were connected to the vine and they lived their entire lives in a false self as though they were not connected and they get cut off and thrown away. That's chilling. Friendship, you and I were made for friendship with one another, but we were also made for friendship with with God. Gnod. (laughs) The great Gnod. Everyone. Everyone bow down. No, um, you and I were made for friendship with one another, but also friendship with God. And friendship with God is ultimately based upon connection. It's possible. It's possible that you can show up one day and he can say, I don't even know you. Translation, I know you only in a voyeuristic outside looking out heaven's window of ultimate knowledge sort of way. You never shared anything with me. You received my life. You received my life for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and you never shared anything with me. You never talked to me like I was a real person. By the way, God is a more real person than anyone is a real person. He invented the concept of real persons. So it begins with love, knowing that we're loved, living out of that love, that connection which is ultimately sharing. Jesus says, you got to remain in my love. See, you're loved, but you got to remain. And you think, well, how do we remain? And Jesus answers it. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. We hate that word, obey. It, it, is, it is, in America, it is the other cuss word. It's, but, and, and, and it's a four-letter word. There's this whole host of four. We could write them all down. I thought about putting a chart of all the cuss words up there. Someone would have surely been offended. Even though you go home and use them. (laughs) 
This is how it goes. The very people who get maddest at me for this or that are the very people who go home and say and do the very same things, only more. You know you do. How do you remain in his love? You obey his commandments. And we hate that word. It's like, oh my gosh. It is, it is the Christian version of any, what, whatever the worst cuss word is to you. Obey. But obedience to Jesus is connected to being his friend. One of the things that you and I need to understand is we have this deep and we have this intimate relationship with God. We are deeply and profoundly loved, but this is not a relationship of equals. He's the vine, we're the branches. How many of you understand that a vine can live without a branch, but a branch cannot live without the vine? Oof. Bummer town. It's not a relationship of equals, but you do need to notice this. Jesus never, ever, not here nor any other place in the New Testament, never, ever asks anything of you or I that he doesn't first demonstrate and do himself. Look at what he says. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus is the example. We do not have... God at a distance, but we have God who's walking out a similar path. God who's walking out a similar style of life. Obey Jesus, the Jesus who obeys his Father. Remain in him, the Jesus who remains in his Father. And then, verse 11 is stunning. He tells us that these things, doing these things, obeying him, obeying his commandments, doing these things leads to being filled with joy. Verse 11. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with not just regular joy, but Jesus' joy. Y'all want Jesus' joy? I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You could, it's entirely possible to overflow with Jesus' joy, which has to be the strongest joy in all the universe. See, there's something about obedience. This is going to be countercultural for a moment here. There's something about obedience that leads to joy. Everything in the world is telling you that rebelism and doing what you want and, uh, and, and rebellion leads to joy. Everything in the world is telling you that, that doing what somebody else wants you to do leads to misery. Uh, Jesus is saying, no, that's really not how it works at all. If you will obey me, you'll get joy. Joy is the fruit of obedience. Joy is the fruit of obedience. Like, you get tattoos, you should get that one tattooed on your arm. Look at it every day. If anybody's willing to get it, I'll buy it. See, some of us are miserable in the room. Some of us are miserable. We're totally miserable. We're not happy. And by the way, you're miserable and you're not happy and it's not just your brain chemistry. I mean, it can be your brain chemistry. Heck, maybe your brain chemistry is whack. But I've got a question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Maybe your brain chemistry is whack for all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's DNA. Maybe it's hereditary. Maybe it's something you got from your mom or your dad. Or maybe it's just because you and I grew up in America with a rebellious heart towards authority and especially towards God. And we have, we have collectively absorbed and eaten the fruit of misery. Maybe going your own way is miserable. It's not maybe, it is. Going your own way is miserable. The way of Jesus is filled with joy. It's also filled with tears, but it's also filled with joy. Filled with joy. Some of us are miserable in the room, and it's not just the chemicals. You can take all kinds of pills. Take a hundred pills. Grab a handful of pills. Take all the pills. By the way, I'm not against pills. If pills help you not be miserable, you should take them. I'm just saying that there's something else you should take, and it's called obedience to Jesus. Don't take one without the other. Seems reasonable, right? If you need need Prozac, dude, take the Prozac. But don't take Prozac and still be a rebel to Jesus. You'll just be a medicated rebel who gets cut off. 
The other thing I found too is this. Sometimes when people start obeying Jesus, the Prozac stops working. Don't need it anymore. See, we're not medically, we're not against medical intervention here at the vineyard. We just think that if you're sick enough to go to the doctor in any way, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, if you're sick enough to go to the doctor, you ought to at least give Jesus a chance. Don't do one without the other. Don't ever do one without the other. So how do we remain? We remain by being obedient to Jesus. Being obedient to Jesus' commands. And I think there are many things in view here. We might begin to ask, well, what is Jesus' command? What are Jesus' commands? I think it's everything that he ever said. I think it's the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. I think it's all that. But the only thing that is in view right here is in verse 12 and in verse 17. This is my commandment, love each other. The only thing that's in view in this passage for remaining in Him and obeying Him is loving each other. There is something about loving one another. There is something about having friends and caring for your friends that actually makes friendship with Jesus possible. One of the ways that you love Jesus and become His friend is by being a good friend to the friends you already have. There are three kinds of friendship. This is what a monk, this is one of the church fathers. His name was Allered of Riveau, born between England and Scotland in the year 1000, in the year 1100, 1100, 1110. They don't know exactly. He said there's three kinds of friendships, and he wrote this to his brothers in the monastery. There are carnal friendships. Carnal friendships are based on our vices and what destroy us. Anybody ever had a carnal friend? Like the only reason that you were together was your mutual love of immorality. No, the world is filled with carnal friendships. Uh, Secondly, there were worldly friendships. They appear better than carnal, but they're born not of a desire for goodness, but for temporal advantage or possessions. And they nurture in us the wrong kind of ambition not in loving God, but in simply getting ahead. Think of the kind of friendships that exist just so that we can do better business. Where I could get political power, you know? Like, I need to know this guy because he can unlock this door for me. I don't really care about him. And as soon as this door is open for me, I'm not really even friends with that guy anymore. Does that make sense? But then, then Allred says that there's also friend, spiritual friendship. And spiritual friendship grows us closer to God and it spurs us on to holiness. This is the true kind of Christian friendship. True Christian friendship, rightly expressed, causes us in the end to be holy. It's where we live with with an awareness of the fact that there's always another person present between any two friends. And the person who's always present between any two friends is always Jesus. Because he lives in them. See, loving others, and here, the others are the disciples themselves. Remember, this is Jesus' last supper, and Jesus is talking about friendship with his best friends. And the only others that are in view here are the ones that are in the room. The command that Jesus is holding out to us, love one another, the others are the other disciples, the other friends. And how many of you understand that the disciples would have become friends after three and a half years of camping with Jesus? Loving our friends is also loving the Son of God. It's loving the Son of God because He dwells in the other, but it's also loving the Son of God because He loves the other. See, part of what it means to be friends is to share loves and interests. Think of your friends. Think of your best friend. The the people that you are best friends with are people that you share lots of interests with. You're not exactly the same. And there's some things that they do that you don't like. And there's some things that you do that that they don't like. But one of the things that draws people together in friendship is shared interests and shared loves. This is why when when one friend loves another friend, it's actually beginning. It it is the uh, foundational uh, principle of you and I beginning to love God as well. Why? Because God loves that other person. We have a shared interest in this person. And he lives in them. 
Jesus is in love with those people and he's interested in them. And so loving and, and taking interest is to set our hearts on Jesus' track and, and to set our feet in Jesus' trail. It's to get set off on Jesus' way. Uh, this is why true friendship, spiritual friendship with another person is always a way of holiness. It's calling out the sacred in the other and it's sanctifying our own hearts. True spiritual friendship over the course of years, will express itself in your life as the two of you becoming holy. Why? Because you, you're beginning to think and act like Jesus does to that other person. And Jesus is profoundly holy. Friendship is not optional. It is essential. Essential. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? I'm going to pray for you guys when I'm finished. If you have any need, if you are sick in your body or you are just, you're in a spiritual battle and you need somebody to pray for you, come up. These people right here are wonderful and they will pray with you. Why don't you stand up this morning? Hey, also while I was uh, while I was preaching this morning, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said there may be somebody here who's having a kidney issue and he'd like to touch it. Is there anybody here having a, a kidney issue? One? Anybody else? One? Okay, yeah, why don't you come up? We want to pray for you. All right, why don't you just put your hand on your heart? Lord, we love you this morning. And God, we just declare that we want to be friends with you. God, we declare that we want to lay our head on your chest, just like John the Beloved. Father, we ask that you would give us grace to begin to relate to you in a way that is real, that isn't stuffed by religiousness. Wake up our hearts to love. You're the vine, we're the branches. God, we ask that that heavenly DNA that is, in fact, in our being right now, God, we ask that it would begin to express itself with the fruit of the kingdom. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. God, we ask that all those things would begin to express themselves even now. Father, we ask that the very love of the Father that has been set upon Jesus the Son, that has been set upon us, God, we ask that that would begin to flourish in our lives. God, we ask that we begin to feel it. We ask that that heavenly sap would begin to move in our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts. God, everything that is captured by uh, criticism and, and suspicion, everything that is captured by... Um, uh, just a coldness that, that inhibits friendship. God, we ask that it would, it would stand down and that, that that heavenly nutrient and that heavenly fluid would just begin to lubricate our being for loving you and for loving other people. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who is our friend. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, you come up. We want to pray for you. 